Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, I'm going to try to do the Parsha now. I'm running behind badly this week. Too bad. Uh, I'm sorry about that. I had a lot of college stuff to do. Beginning of semester. And uh, anyway, I'm just running behind. I see. I'm going to try, if possible, today to knock out two. Um, this week's, uh, today's a lot of stuff going on, but this week's uh, talks, in other words, today, the next three are um, from the Raiden family, from Zeb Raiden, Zeb and Dina, which is very nice, they're sponsoring a whole week's worth, I guess you'd say, uh, and, you know, Zeb, uh, let's put it this way, yesterday, or two days ago, was Zeb's birthday, I'm not going to ask how old, on Yud Gimel Shvat, and, uh, this also being honored, so Mazel Tov. Zeb was telling me about his bar mitzvah many moons ago in the old Baltimore, the old Shari Zion, which uh, a place that, that shall no longer exist, has a different identity now. And uh, it's also in honor of Dina's parents, who have a 50th wedding anniversary. Isn't that nice? Barch, Rabbi Barkin, Sarlay Rubenstein. She had many more. And uh, Zeb and his son Aton were in my house a couple weeks ago. Very nice. I want to thank them. Uh, that's a that's something for everybody to imitate to do a to cover a whole week. Today's uh, Tubishvat, of course. Uh, happens to be uh, the yard set of my brother, Ari, and it's also the, my, happens to be today the English birthday of my daughter Elisheva. So a lot of things are happening over here, uh, so it should be more simchas. Now, uh, there's another simchas involved also. I'll tell you in a minute. It, I was looking at the parsha. I mean, Bishal there's a ton to say. I don't want to repeat what I said before. But I'm drawn to the story of Miriam because my daughter Ayal just had a baby and they named the Sher Miriam because I imagine this time of the year. Nobody asked me anything. Um, and Miriam does the Shira. Batezi, Miriam Achosaron, you know, Batezi, and I call Nashim Achareho. So that's just an interesting thing. The Torah usually doesn't talk about the women. Uh, and here they get a special uh, mention. In general, the whole story is funny because you have that, uh, what's the right word? group of three, that triumvirate, Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, who were mentioned in Micha and other places as a as a group of three. They were a leadership team, as we'd say. And there's a there's Targum, you know, that says Moshe taught the men, Aaron did this, and the women, Miriam taught the women. So, uh, uh, Moshe sings, Ozi Yosha Moshe, and Miriam sings, and Aaron doesn't sing. I'm a coin, you know, how come Aaron didn't sing? I would like to think, this is a modern interpretation, Aaron who is always a people person, let's put it this way, a lot of people must be shocked out of their mind when they saw us splitting at a Red Sea. We always say, oh, Masha Roshim Chaliyam, which of course is true. But a lot of people say, what just happened? You know, it's like a shock. <laughs> and for some people, a shock is a, is a, you know, not easy for them to handle. Imagine an older person come to the Amsib and the water splits, uh, like at the movie. Oh my goodness. And there's Aaron saying, calm down, take it easy, take, take your pills, you know. <laughs> Whatever. But I don't know. It's just interesting that it mentions Moshe singing and it mentions Miriam singing on our own. Now, Miriam is going to bring the women's perspective over here. And by that I mean uh, that each of the two genders 
obviously had a different experience than Mitzrayim, even though they also had a joint experience. There is a Seder Olam. You know, it's, that's very old, the Seder Olam, that says that Miriam was called Maror. That is to say, when she was born or whatever, or the world in which she grew up in, was a world of slavery, of bitterness. Right? It's interesting. So Miriam, uh, let's put it this way, personified the women's experience of the slavery. Now, you know, there's always a problem with me. They, there is a statement when it gets to Shlomo's Basdivri that only his mother, by the age of Benisha Mitzri, Benisha Mitzri, Yisraelish, and there is a Chazal that says that she was the only woman who got involved with the Egyptian. Uh, it's hard to hear. It just doesn't make any sense. In a slave society, the men take advantage of the women. That is what happens. Uh, how could it be that they, the Egyptians subjected the Jews to backbreaking labor? Mamas killed them, put the babies in the bricks, all the rest of it. And the women, they didn't touch. They laid their hands off it. I don't know how that, how that works. I have a hunch. It's just totally a hunch. Right? I mean, what do I know? When it says 80% died, I, I, I just always used to think, I just have a hunch, the 80% might be the ones that have Egyptian uh, fathers. You understand? Because uh, it was a must have been a terrible situation. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I would like to think that that's a, a, a statement of fact. It was only happened once, but it doesn't make any sense to me. If I'm right, the Miriam really represents. Let's put it this way: then the women really had a, what's the right word? A unique experience of getting the heck out of Egypt and getting away from the Egyptian uh, rapists and and bums. It's, it reminds you exactly of what they say about Hanukkah. According to one shot, you know, that the, the Greeks had a, the same thing. You know, the hegmon, to boil the hegmon tchilo. And so when Hanukkah came and the Greeks were overthrown, this had a special, unique meaning for the women. Uh, the men also, but the women also. In Egypt, Libby Imerly, again, I could be totally wrong. I just think it makes sense to me. Then when Miriam takes, you know, that when they get out, and it says, the Medrash says that they saw the dead bodies had formerly been the masters, and the bodies were thrown up on the on the shore. I spoke about that in the past. So, uh, imagine what the women thought. Imagine what the women thought. And they have a unique liberation. You see? Now, uh, the Chazal, let me put it this way. When you read the Chumash by itself, so Miriam is the first person, and I think the only person mentioned as a prophetess, as a Nevi'ah, until you get to Deborah, which is why today's parsha uh, has to do with Devorah, you know, the Haftarah. Uh, Miriam and Devorah mentioned as as this. Now there is a Chulda Nevi'ah, so I shouldn't say that, but it's it's, it's rare. Now, um, uh, I mean, I'm talking about specifically mentioned in the pasuk, not that the Chazal are dashing from, and. Uh, if let's put it this way, there's a famous Gemara Rashi quotes that we've all heard. Why she called Miriam and the Via? Where did she prophesy? The answer is she didn't prophesy in the Chumash, but the story in the Torah Shalpeh is that she said Asido, you know, Achi Ligol Es Yisrael or something like that. Uh, my mother's going to have a baby. They'll save Chal Yisrael. You know, that's uh, the the famous uh, uh, story in the Gemara Megillah, and maybe somewhere else. And, you know, in the beginning when it was, when they started killing the babies, 
you know, the father slapped her and all that, but whatever the case is. So that's what I mean by Nevia. But if you're one of these Pashtonim types, like the Rajvam or the others, they're bothered. They said, you know, where in the Chumash does it say the man was a prophetess? Now you could simply say like this. If it tells you, it tells you. But it's not the style of the Pashtonim to do that. And so it's very interesting that uh, the Rajbam, who I just pulled out, says she wasn't a prophetess. She was a dynamic personality. Patikach Mir Nevia means she led the women in a song and a dance, whatever it was, because she was just a natural leader. He says, the Rajbam, the Novi is Kore Baal Dibri Shevach, Otochachos Bnei Somebody that can give Musr or Shevach is what you call today these dynamic women speakers that they have running around. Uh, Miriam was like that. So she wasn't, a, 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 according to this, she wasn't a Novi, but she was a Novi, the word Novi meaning from the word Nev, speaker. In other words, the Rajvam is like, agreeing with like the Max Weber theory of Hebrew prophecy. Neva, you know, they're, they're great uh, speakers. Uh, let that be. Either way. Now, it's, it's just very interesting. All this is interesting because, uh, believe it or not, the Maral has a whole chapter in his way. Uh, I'm not a Maral person, really. But, you know, he's always got these interesting, unusual uh, takes on matters. That's an understatement. And the Maral has a whole chapter on the significance of Miriam. This is in his book about the Messianic era, you know, the Netzach Yisrael. And it's called HaHevdo Mengulis Mitzrayim Legula Chrona. HaHevdo, what's the difference between the original Gulis uh, Mitzrayim time and the uh, Mashiach time that's coming? Now, many books, like the Maral, uh, what do you call it, the Ramchal and others, go into great lengths, and so does the Maral, about how the Yitzis Mitzrayim is sort of like a foreshadowing of the Messianic era that's coming. But in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. In other words, there are certain aspects it was just going to be the same. Other aspects are going to be different. So in the next he's in the 54th chapter, he's got a hevdo. And, you know, in his unique way, unusual, he says, of course, I'm just sharing this because it's interesting. I don't know if you ever hear this. That the morale says he had mo- he had a, a, a team of three, two brothers and a sister, a team of three. They had Moshe, Aaron, and, 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 and um, Miriam. What do you need them all three for? So you see, each one fulfilled a different role, spiritual roles, he sees it. This is just original to me. He says, Aaron was Mekasher, he saw Machtam Yachad. So Aaron was able to unite the Jews, but unite the Jews in a negative sense, in the sense of not being Mefurad. So that's what we would call today a confederation. You know, notice each one retains his own identity. You're not fusing them into a, a single mass, but you're getting them all to agree, uh, you know, to join a, a common union or something like that. That's very important, okay? It could be argued that that's a better than the other way, but not according to morale. Aram, as he said before, is, you know, because he was Oev Shalom, Rodev Shalom, Makarvis Abrias, the word that he's focusing on the morale is in Pirkei Ovis, where he says, Oh, Shalom, Rodev Shalom, Makarv, Makarv is So that means as a, as a certain power. But, however, Moshe took it to the next level. Lo Aaron rak The very position of Melech is 
being a single human being, he personifies, as they call in English, he is the living personification of the fact that all people are just one. Now, they're not physically one, but in some other way, in a non-physical way, they're one. So that's taking from a confederation to a single country. You understand? To a fusion. And he sees Aaron playing this role, and Miriam playing that, um, and uh, Moshe playing that role. Now, where do you need Miriam for? Because according to the morale, you couldn't get the Jews out of Egypt unless you had three Goalim. You had to have a team of three, each one playing its own role. And he says, Aaron Hayozi Shalom Bechibur Ben Yisrael Avim Shabbat Shamayim, Dabrizehu Misham Mitzad Hashem Yisbarach. I'll use the words that, as I understand it. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. All I ever do is share you the way I understand it. Aaron was able to pull off an Isarusa de Leila. You see? He could get a a burst from heaven to inspire the Jews to have a connection with God. But you need more than that. You need an Isarusa de Leila. You need that from the ground up, the people should also want to do it on their own without God inspiring them. And therefore, how you owe go el shlishi Miriam, neged Yisrael shem mishtoki kimel Hashem Yisbarach. You have to bring out, inspire the Jews that they on their own should seek uh, God. That is very mystical, of course. We always say Hashem is misava. For remember that remember that uh, Agadata, the God wears filling and Jews wear filling, and you know God said mikam chisrael, and Jews say the other way around. This idea of of mystical attachment. Anila Dodi, Vidodi Lee, that kind of thing. So, so uh, I guess Miriam would play that role like in a keva, you know? They'll play that role of, of uh, arousing the Jews to want to be with God. So, when she grabs the tambourine and starts singing, you basically means like this Moshe was leading a song, but it was only getting to one Madrega. And Miriam said, We got to jazz this thing up, you know? So basically, Moshe is like a Yekka Shechazim, and that's very good. And she, see, we need some Hasidis over here, you know. Ashur Hashem ki go, go, sus baruch Let's get everybody into a mood, make a hot nanny. The people should really, you know, be uh, super inspired. And she did it in a way that Moshe did not. That's interesting. She didn't, otherwise the Torah wouldn't bother to tell you this. Who cares what Miriam did? Must be there's a significance. So Moshe got it to some level. After all, they just saw something amazing. But to see something amazing is not to be able to interpret it properly. So Moshe got it to some level, and Miriam took it to the next next level. And it could be when it says Moshe wrote Shifcha Liam, that's an interesting expression. It says a Shifcha, which is a female, that comes from Miriam. Okay? Because it says, They had a whole dance and everything. That's called, you know, getting the place on fire. And Moshe couldn't get them on fire. That's interesting. That would accord with the dynamic personality interpretation of the Rajbam, even though you wouldn't usually associate the Rajbam with the others. I personally think has to do with what I said before, which is the women were particularly happy and now they're freed from being attacked and violated by the Egyptians. But like I said before, I don't know. Now, there is a fascinating Ravina B'chaya. Uh, it's, I think it's famous. And he, of course, says... Well, let me interject. The Rambam says, no, 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 I'll do it. I'll, I'll, let me do it this way. There's a famous Rebbeinu Chaya on this parasha, right over here in this, passing about Miriam. 
I would advise everybody if you're interested to look it up. Right? And he talks about the women's role and so on and so forth. It's probably quoted often. Although I can't see I, I I've seen it quoted. And you know Stalar Bain first he starts with a puzzle here or there, and then he has different approaches. The shop approach, the mystical approach, the midrashic approach. That's fine. And when he gets over here, he's talking about Miriam as a prophetess. And of course he knows the traditions in the Chazal that talk, I mean, Miriam's not the first prophet. Sarah. Okay? What about Sarah Miriam? Others? And he discusses this. And what he's trying to say over here is that Alderach uh, HaMedrish Achos Aram you know, Malabash in the Spashos He brings that famous Medrash about um, Miriam when she was young, prophesying the birth of Moses and the significance of it. And then, you know, this is, he's writing in the, uh, I guess, the uh, 13th century. And so, how can a woman have Nebuah? It could happen. She's a human being. <laughs> Why are you sexist? She's a woman being, a human being. And then he says, Since we see that Miriam could be a Navi, it says so explicitly, Miriam and Avia, so Sarah could be like the Chazal say. And in fact, we know, Rashi quotes this, that Sarah was a greater Navi than Avram. Right? You know, when she says, kick out uh, the Arab kid, uh, what do you call it? Yishmael. And, and Vayera, Ma'obein Avram. Isn't that, you know, Avram was reluctant. And God says, Call us your Tomer And the Chazal say, Shoy Avram, Now, my friends, that is quite a statement. Avram Avinu, a pretty big guy. Avram Avinu. And it's he, not Sarah, who discovered God. In spite of what I just said, she turned out to have a bigger Nebuah. So she must have done something to earn this. Especially if you go like the Rambam and the others, which say, you know, you don't, you don't get Nebuah, Stam and the You got to work at it. And practice certain disciplines, and be able to train yourself in meditation, and shameless Hashem, and all this other business. And um, you know, I have no idea how Avram did it. Uh, let's follow the typical interpretation. He got it from shame. You know, Maki Well, then where did Sarah get it from? The answer has to be that Avram, as far as I can tell, Avram learned it from shame, and then then he taught it to his wife, and the wife outdid him. That could happen, right? Sometimes you teach a student a student better than you. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just interesting, <laughs> right? No, so we see that these women hit very high madrega. Um, and I, 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 I'm going to develop this because here's the most interesting part to me, what the Ravina Mechaia goes on to say. And that is, Sometimes the women... In the Bible, the ones who give the most important theological points. Now, going back a little bit, he says, How come if sorrow was so great, as I just described, she's never called a prophet? Why is only Miriam called a prophet? And the answer is, he suggests, Rabbi Mikhaya, that God wanted. Because God wrote the Torah. So he didn't call Sarah Novi, but he did call it Miriam Novi. Why did God do that? Because he wanted to reveal it only in a certain theological moment. Zman he goes Ashkina. Only when he had maximum uh, um, revelation of Shekhinah. Notice Kriyas Yamsev. 
just the meaning of the statement. That they actually had experience of the Shekhinah on a mass level. So, when you hit that point, that reflection of what I just said before, which is even the maid servant, even the females, saw the Shekhinah, the proof would be that Miriam and Avila led the women in the dance, and they're an equal level like Moshe and Israel. Moshe had a Shira, and Miriam had a Shira, right? My granddaughter, the new granddaughter, name is Shira Miriam, get it? Now, that means that Miriam was singing or using the medium of song and dance. That's very interesting from a modern perspective. Miriam was using the medium of song, the medium of dance, and the medium of music, because she took a tambourine, right? Tufim macholos, right? That's just interesting, right? Uh, many of the manuals on prophecy, like the Ramchal and the others, they talk about the necessary use of instruments and music along with song and dance. This is like Ari Kaplan kind of stuff. But not really. Read the book of Shmuel Aleph, and the day Saul becomes a king, when he's told by the prophet Samuel, you're going to get a king, he says you're going to be, be transformed into a new person, and then you're going to run into prophets who are into singing and spazzing, and having uh, uh, instruments, you'll see three people coming with, with instruments, you know, harps and stuff like that. So in other words, the ability to use song and dance and music, which is not what Moshe did, don't say Moshe let it dance. The only other guy I can think like is David Amel. Uh Right? Yep. <laughs> like I said before, Moshe did it like a yekka, you know? He's singing the song in a dignified way. Miriam is doing it like King David is uh, dancing the music and all the rest of it, to bring the people to see the Shekhinah. It's, 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 it's remarkable. Now, that means that she was able to use these mediums to convey to her public the, the his goal of Shekhinah. Uh, that's uh, remarkable. Now, that means it's a supreme theological moment in Jewish history, which it is. And that's the reason I think I mentioned last year that you owe that whoever made the liturgy of the sitter arranged matters that you say you always evoke the picture of the of the uh Yamsu before you do Shimon Esrei, before you talk to God, right? Before you talk to God, you evoke the original experience when everybody was in ecstasy over there. So in the morning, you say Ezra Sabasenu before you do the um Shimon Esrei, which is all about we're talking about today, and in the evening, if you know the history of the liturgy, it used to be that you said Emes Muna, and Emunah is also about Kriyas Yamsuf, Amar Rebunim and Gizri Yamsuf, and it also ends at that crescendo, you know, Micha Mocha Bin Hashem, Hashem Milochon Led, Nemer Kifonis Yach Gol Miachazing Menu, Hashem Gol Yisrael, and then you're supposed to go right to Shimon Esrei. Subsequently, they tacked on Hashkivenu, and subsequently that they tacked on the other thing, but really it's supposed to be. You're evoking this experience because through these mediums, the Jews hit this ecstasy and they saw the Shekhinah or whatever. And then the Ben Machai goes on to say, if you look elsewhere in the Tanakh, in the Bible, you'll see, for Od Timsa, Ikrim Gedolim Shabbatorah, Fundamental and important theological points are often conveyed to us through the medium of women. Ki'inyin Ha'olam Haba, Abigail. Abigail, 
in the story, now you've got to know your Tanakh. When the story of um, of David, when he is uh, a contender for the throne, Saul is still the king. David is, I won't say a pretender, but he's a contender for the throne. And uh, you have the story of Nobel, who won't give David any food, and David gets angry, he's going to go kill him. And then Nobel's wife, Abigail, comes with a gigantic shalach monas, and, uh, you know, she gets him not to kill her husband and so forth, who anyway dies from a stroke or something like that a couple days later. And then David uh, ends up marrying Abigail. But when she first encounters him, and she, um, you know, is uh, talking him out of uh, killing her husband, no, she's doing the right thing. So she basically, it's funny. She goes into like a theological disquisition over here. She should have simply said, don't kill my husband. Okay? Uh, where is it over here? Here, look at this. This is in Shmuel Olive, chapter 25. And she said, don't, I'll, I'll know y'all seem Adonis Lee, but Alicia Kinobel who came Shmuel. Don't think about, don't get angry at my husband. He's not worth it. He's a jerk. His name is Noble because he's a Noble. Right? This is the woman talking, Abigail. I swear by God, right? That God is, is preventing you, if you listen to me, not to commit murder, because don't kill my husband. Right? And, um, uh, so what does she say? Right? So she basically basically flattering. She's kissing up David. And the pasuk I'm looking for, hold on for a second, is she says, whoops, again, this is in Perikov, hey, uh, here we go. So she says, forgive the guy and forgive me. Don't kill us all. You'll be sorry that you did it. Which he confesses that she's right. And the Pazich of Tess, he said, And if people try to kill you, I hope from now on, in this chus that you listened to me and didn't kill my husband and all the rest of it, because you're not a king yet, the Gemara says. So um, as a result of this, all your enemies should fail to hurt you. And may your nefesh be bound up in the Tzorah with God. As far as your enemies go, they should be cast into the slingshot. Now, what does all this mean? Soror HaChaim, Kafakela. These are difficult and arcane theological concepts about what happens to after death, right? That's for a good person. Kafa Kela has to do with how Rishayim retreated. Um, very interesting expressions. You'll be, you'll be shot, your enemies will be shot like a slingshot back and forth. I'm not going to go into what the meaning of Kafa Kela is, but it means that it's, it's Abigail and nobody else in the Tanakh who has the ability to give this some kind of a poetic expression. Because listen, there's nothing physical. Your, your, your nefesh, your neshama doesn't really go back and forth <laughs> like a slingshot. You know, bouncing back and forth like flubber. It's not physical, okay? But it's expressing through physicality, expressing in a sublime idea, as we'd say before. As the woman who was able to to deliver this message over, 
and, and when Hannah is praying for a child, yeah, she says Hashemimis Vayol and all that. And this is also interpreted as referring to things that happen before and after life. Finian Gilgal idea Hatikois, and the whole idea isn't as interesting of the Gilgal. The Tikois was the woman of Tekoa. That's a story in Shmuel Bays, where King David has been alienated from his son Absalom, and they're having a spat and all this. And I'm just simplifying. And at one point, Gilov, who's a friend of Absalom, wants to bring them all together. And uh, let me just see over here. One second. Uh, here it is. In Shmuel Bays, I guess, chapter 14. Right? So, uh, it's a long story. I won't give you the whole business. But the bottom line is, there's a, an actress, the woman of Tekoa, that Eov hires, and they give a whole uh, baloney story to the king to get him to see that he should take back his son. And she makes a whole story. He says, you know, I have a son, and the uh, other brothers want to kill him, and he's my only son left, even though he killed his brother, and which Absalom did, by the way. And she says even to the king, she says, listen, life is fleeting, you know, I can't handle all this sort of thing. And she says very basically, most numbers, she says to the king, most numbers, kamayim nigrim arza ashele yaseifu, that's a hard passage to translate. And she's and what she does, they say is a Gilgal. She says, listen, we're like water, all of us, right? All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away, she says. He devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. You know what I said? God devises ways to bring us back. We've been separated from him, which they talk as a Gilgal. Now, why would it be a woman that's doing the Gilgal? Must be the women are Masugal, the Rebbeinah B'chayi says, in ways that men aren't, to uh, give these things over. These women are the Ikrab. There's something in the uh, female psyche, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, that, um, that what do you call it, that... Uh, they are more attuned. Maybe they have a better imaginative faculty. The Rambam makes a big deal in the Mornabuchim about how in order to be a successful prophet, you have to have a highly developed imaginative faculty. Not you make things up, but you have the ability to describe obscure things that you might see in a Splaclaria Shana Meira and give it a vivid form. Okay? Everybody realize that your soul is not like water on the ground, not literally. But it's a good way of putting it. You see? It's a unique way of putting it. Uh, and similarly, uh, Hannah, and similarly, Miriam, and similarly, Abigail. And uh, I wonder, he doesn't talk about Queen Esther. I wonder if we can fit Queen Esther into this because Purim is coming around the corner. All I'm saying is that you see some of the forcement of Bechai's a classical peers. This is one of the locust classic, one of the classic places where you'll find discussion about the um, what's the right word? The spiritual potentiality. I don't like to use cliches. Because a cliche means you can't think of the right word to say, just using something. But you see what I'm getting at. The, the, some unique uh, power of the women over the men, uh, which does express itself, for example, at uh, the Kriyas Yamsuf. So my point is, and with this I conclude, that as best as I can tell, you don't read this the normal way. Moshe did a whole thing, and then Miriam did something. Or if you wish, 
you know, very from. The men did it for the men, and then she did a separate thing for the Vibashishol. Right? You know, and she went and, and went in the lady section and she did something over there. Uh, it seems rather something different is going on. It seems that the Jews beheld an amazing spectacle. They weren't exactly sure how to respond to it. It is Hashua Sashchina, but that doesn't mean you understand when you see the Hashua Sashchina. If you have a limited imaginative faculty, you, you just don't get it, right? Imagine someone with an extremely low IQ or someone has challenges and things like that. They could see the Shekhinah, they don't know what they're seeing, right? Now, here's a bunch of slaves. It's pretty difficult to go from A to Z overnight, and yet that's what happened. They saw something at, at, at the Maimon I'm, I'm sorry, at the Kriyas Yamsuf. And so Moshe is trying to use the power of Shira to get them to understand it, and apparently he did, to a level. But then, as I understand it, at least as I understand this here, Miriam said, this is not where he, this is not as far as you can take it, and I'm gonna outdo my brother. By the time she finished, with that, I wish you a good Shabbos. Once again, I wish a happy birthday to uh, Zev and to the family and to all the other Simchas. And uh, with that, I wish you a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.